Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives across from Jerusalem, looking at the temple and just talking about some really heavy stuff with the, with the disciples. And I gave you some disclaimers and perspectives last week, and I am not going to go through those because that was like half the sermon. So I'm not going to give that to you again in detail like I did last week. You can go back and check that out if you missed that last week on our app website, however you want to do that, and and so here it is real quickly. My goal is to teach you something from God's Word, and you walk away wanting to learn more, to get into the Bible for yourself, and, it, and that spiritual hunger grow in you to walk more closely with Jesus. That's the goal. The goal isn't to turn you into seminary students and fix your eschatology this morning, okay? It's not my goal, but and you also may have some expectations when it comes to Mark 13 about eschatology. When I say that, I mean end times, what your thoughts on about end times are, uh, your theology. So whatever it is, um, sh- strong position or don't have a pos- position on it uh, or you want to know more, whatever your position on it is, I'll probably disappoint you for sure. My emphasis is on helping you understand and get a get a sense of how how do how should we live today how do what do I do in light of these things faithful living today not giving you my eschatology per se if you want that we can hang out sometime we can talk so the other thing is don't get hung up on secondary issues to the point that you don't live with an essential focus, okay? And don't disregard secondary issues and not study, but, because I don't want you to end up biblically illiterate either. It's not the, you know, you can go extremes both ways, okay? The gospel is clear in Scripture and it talks about our obedience to things like evangelism and sharing the gospel and loving one another and those the things we're supposed to do with one another, sanctification, how we're to grow and become more like Christ. And so your view on end times does not change the gospel. It should not change the gospel. There's a great book by John MacArthur, Gospel According to Jesus. It was a big impact in my life. Um, what Jesus said the gospel is is what the gospel is, and, and that can't change because my end-time theology changes it. It, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way, okay? And so whatever, whatever that is, the gospel does not change whatever your eschatology is, okay? If it, if it does and you don't, you're not seeking out to love each, each other and evangelism, sanctification, those things, then there's something wrong with your end times theology. So we ended in Mark 13, verse 8, and I'm going to tell you, there's times I got headaches, okay, studying for this, and uh, it just, I'm looking forward to being out of chapter 13, so I'm going to try to get to the end today, okay? So um, we ended in verse 8, we're going to pick up in verse 9, and it says, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Now, remember the context of what's being, what what it's talking about here, because he's he's weaving together, like we said last week, the near and the far, some events that are are going to take place soon, and then a lot of stuff that's going to take place later toward the whenever tribulation comes all those things but the temple is going to be destroyed so there's a there's a there's a near and a far thing going on here but this is one of those far things that the gospel must be preached to all nations and we don't know when it is as we'll get into in just a little bit but this is this is where I have found something new in my understanding of scripture that I've gone I've always isolated these two things, and, and, and I'd preach this verse over here, and then I come to this verse here, and then all of a sudden, I went, wait a minute, those are connected, okay? So, 
And context is super important with the Bible, right? I mean, it's just context, context, context. There's three layers of that when you read. There's the, the verse and the, the, the verses around it, right? There's, there's in context of the, the book that you're in in the Bible and then in the context of the entire scriptures, okay? So when you read a passage, you've got to filter it with all that. So, so remember, context here is he's talking about end times, okay? So yes, even today we will be persecuted for our faith. There's other verses that tell us that's just the way it's going to be, even when Jesus you know, prayed for us before ascending. He, he mentioned some of these things, and they're going to they're gonna persecute you for my name's sake. But even here it tells us that, that this is going on during this time. People reject us. There will be those killed for their faith happening today, okay? And every kind of persecution in between those two things. And it is of utmost importance for us to share the gospel and do evangelism to share our faith with other people. Like that applies, it's not saying it doesn't, okay, with where I'm going here, but we got to do all we can to spread the gospel around the world and in our backyard. That's what the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 tells us, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to observe all things, and I'm with you to the end of the age, right? All that, that applies to us, okay? But this verse is in context of the end, right? So remember, um, I've, just, I've just never gone this far with it when I've looked at this verse, okay? Even though um, I've, ne- I've never gone too far with it to say we, we are the ends, we're the means to the end of this, of this occurring because it's always been for me put in God's providential will for when this will happen, the end of time, when, when all this starts, when the rapture happens, when tribulation starts, when all, when, when all that kicks off, we don't know when that is. It's his providential will. I've always talked about the need for evangelism and thought, well, somehow he'll get that done. And yes, we are a means to help get that done. But when you read that, when you understand this, um, it's not up to us, Okay. In, in this regard, okay, this is the providential will and directive of God to be completed at his discretion. And it will happen no matter what, whether you do what you're supposed to do or not, whether I do what I'm supposed to do or not. The end's going to come, and it's going to come when he says, okay, at that set time. Bible says we don't know the time when we turn. God has not left the scheduling of the return of Christ up to us and our, and our efforts. Like he's sitting in heaven going, hey, whenever y'all get on track, well, this thing will happen, okay? But I'm just waiting on you guys. Ooh, they're really moving. It might happen sooner. Oh, what happened over here? You know, he's not sitting there watching thinking, well, they don't know when it's going to be, but I do because I'm watching the whole world and, and I know when all that happens and it's up to us. It's not, okay? He's talking about context of end times, so think about this, okay? Matthew 24, in his account of this same Olivet Discourse, says it this way in Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world, whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay? So I've used that verse a lot to say evangelism is important. Okay? Now, how does this get done, though, really? Well, let's go to Revelation 11 says there will be two witnesses that will appear in Jerusalem and do amazing signs and wonders and these miraculous things will happen. It'll be seen all over the world. They'll die, be resurrected, right? There's this amazing stuff, and the whole world will see it or be able to see it. They, they will, you know, maybe television. When we got in that age, people went, oh, it's possible now. Everybody's got television, right? Emmanuel, they used to be these boxes, and they weren't in color. It was weird, I know, okay? Had a dial. You couldn't use a little remote. It was, it was rough, man. It was rough, okay? But if, that's why people had enough kids to always have one around, so you could send them to the TV to change the channel, right? 
Now you don't need them kids to change the channel, so we don't have as many, right? So, here, so here it, it says they'll be seen all over the world. So I think cell phones, I mean, I, I go to Honduras, you go to, I've been to Brazil, Venezuela, you go to these places, everybody's got a cell phone. I'm talking in the smallest village, every house has got a cell phone in it. It's crazy, okay? So internet, satellite, all that, I think all that happens and there it is, right there on their phone, computers, right? And so if you're like me and you believe this refers to the tribulation period and the church raptured out, then you also believe in the, there's 144,000 Jews. You talk about who, who are the 144,000, that those are Jews who will come to faith in Christ because of the event of the two witnesses, and they will, because they do all these signs and wonders, share the gospel, all these things happen, and they're there to preach the gospel to those left, it says, to those left and a Gentile number that no one could, no, no number could be counted, right? And the most convincing one of all to me on this, of understanding this, okay, is the angel messenger who finishes the job, okay? So you've got the two witnesses, the 144,000 that'll be left, and the angel messenger, like God's going, it'll be done, and it'll be done when I say, and this is how it's going to happen, okay? Revelation 14, 6 says, and I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, okay? You know, the Bible talks about different heavens, okay, because there's our atmosphere, space, then where God sits, okay? So here he is in, in mid-heaven. Don't, don't let people convince you that there's like seven levels of heaven and how good you are determines which level you get to, okay? That's not in the scripture. That's, that It doesn't refer to that, okay? And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Goes right together with the Olivet Discourse, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. Okay? So Olivet Discourse tied together with Revelation to understand how that happens. See context of Scripture? That helps you. And so that's why we've got to study like we do. So those things will happen before the end according to Scripture. Okay? Until then, Jesus has entrusted me and you to be his hands, feet, mouthpiece, right? To go and share and be the ones who tell people about the gospel and to, to share the good news with all we can. Happier are the feet of those who bring good news, right? How will they hear unless the gospel is preached? How can it be preached? How can it get there unless somebody goes and takes it there, right? It says, until then, it's your job to do that. So God chose to allow things to continue. He chose to allow it to continue and not send the angel. And I believe it's, I'm, I'm glad, you know, you get in that, I want to go, I want it to be over. There's that longing for all this to, to end, the new heaven, new earth, be with Jesus forever, all that. But then there's that longing for those who don't know him to have time for them to come to know him, Right? And so it's, you get torn between that. And so we've got to share the good news to everyone that we can. God, God has chose to use that's That's why I think there's verses like uh, God's going to use um, stupid stuff to confound the wise. I'll just say it that way, okay? So he'll use us to even do things that we go, well, he could just do it. Why don't he just fly an angel right now? Well, he wants to use us right now. Okay, and so that's what he's chosen to do. Mark thirteen eleven goes on to say, "When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but what, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit." Okay, so so listen. I'm torn this morning. I'm gonna get on a little soapbox for a second. Okay. Um, bear with me as I ran a little bit. This really bugs me. And I, I do not mean to be offensive in any form or fashion over this at all, okay? 
but there are, this has happened to me over the years, okay? There are many pastors even that will quote this verse out of context to justify what I would say is, I just filter me a little bit, okay? Their, their own laziness and lack of study, okay? I don't have to study or use commentaries or, or study helps or have notes. or I just get up and open my mouth and it just comes out, right? Now, and had, you know, had even times you get criticized for going, teaching people in seminary how to be a pastor, how to, how to, how to do that. There's, we need to be trained, but it's, it's something I have to, I just, but it was, I just, it just, they go, well, you can't, you can't do this. Have notes, okay, or whatever. That's, that's been said to me a lot, okay. I'll go to churches and it's just, it's like you've, it's like you've set a Coke on the altar, right? Seen that done once. Well, I didn't see it, but I saw the video later. I heard heard about it, right? The guy called the pastor of church. He gets up to, you know, preach in view of a call, and he opens his Sprite, takes a drink, sits it on the communion table, and gets up and preaches. And the whole church went, <gasps> you know, right? I understand that, okay? Respect, those things are, are, are good. Okay, but I don't think we should shoot people over a sprite, right? But but they say these. I'm I'm almost I'm I'm ranting, okay? But they just it'll be this thing of I just get up and say whatever comes out and and just in that moment and I just trust God for His anointing, right? Now should we, as a pastor, do I count on God, the Holy Spirit, to speak? And I'm really counting on him right now, right, to guide us and to help us in what we say. Absolutely, okay. But that, but they'll say you can't prepare to preach, okay. Some churches don't even know who's going to preach on Sunday morning, much less prepare to teach anything. But listen, this verse is a promise to persecuted believers in end times and tribulation, okay, not to lazy preachers today. It's not the context. Okay, here's a verse for proper context for preaching. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed to accurately handling the word of truth. Okay, let's, let's, let's go to King James because I like it better for those who want to argue that we shouldn't prepare and do this, you know, and study. Okay, so King James says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, okay? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? That is for preaching. That other one is for, in the tribulation, it's going to be different, and you're gonna, that's for people who are in jail that have been arrested, and they're just sitting there, and he's going to say, I'll help you with what you're to say, okay? And we can go further down the road with that one and say there's going to be a choice they have to make, and He's going to help them with what to say, okay? He, but what happens is, I want to be careful how far I go and where I go with this, okay? Because I'm, I'm trying to, because I, I know, because this is a thing in East Tennessee and Granger County, and I know the intent is not malicious. The intent is, not, the intent is to help people and guide them to Christ. I know that, Okay? But what happens when you get into emotionalism and following feelings instead of focusing on truth and proper teaching is a shallow theology in churches. And it's an epidemic in Granger County and around East Tennessee. And I'm not saying a pastor has to use notes or a manuscript like I do or like John Piper does that. It's one of the guys I listen to. It made me feel better that I watched a video of him talking about his preparations and how sometimes he's up till two. Most times he's up late at night. He starts Friday morning and finishes a sermon like at 2 a.m. on Friday. I was like, amen, right? It's like, I'm going to share that with my wife, right? But it, 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 there, there has to be 
study on a text and prayer and devotion to stay true to the text as God intended it to be preached, and that takes time studying and praying over that. Okay? God can speak to me on Wednesday or Friday the same as he can standing here this morning. Okay? So the Holy Spirit speaks to me all week, okay, about the sermon coming on Sunday. Really, I mean, by, by tomorrow morning, if not before I leave here today, I will have already shifted gears in my mind to what's coming in chapter 14, and I'll be thinking about it this evening or tomorrow all day. I'll just read it and walk away from it. I've, I've read ahead. I'm just, I'll read it again, and I want it to start to, it's putting it in the crock pot and letting it, you know, just simmer for a long time in there. And so it, it, it just, it just it's, to me, it's the way a, a pastor needs to be prepared, okay? Don't have to use notes. But if you study, you, you'll be able to, you, you can't teach your people sound doctrine with deep understanding for scripture if you, with, of Scripture if you don't prepare for Sunday. You can't. You can't teach on things like the Trinity or end-time theology or a lot of churches are afraid and won't even touch the book of Revelation. And it's because they don't want to study it and they don't understand it. And so they're afraid of it. I mean, some of you grew up in churches. You don't talk about Revelation. You don't talk about end times. You don't talk about Jesus coming back on the white horse. We'll kick you out of here, right? It's, it's just for lack of study and understanding. And it, it's not like something you're not supposed to learn end times and read Revelations because it's in there. God gave it to us in the Bible, right? He wants us to understand it. And you can't explain sanctification, security of the believer. Like, give me verses and lay that out why we believe that. Why do we believe there is a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in one? Where does that come from? And you can't do that and so on to the point that people in your congregation can defend their faith and not get caught up in false teaching and not end up a Mormon, Jehovah Witness, whatever, okay, if you don't study and prepare some meat for your congregation. Yeah, you put some stuff on the bottom shelf, you got to put some stuff on the top shelf, right? Some of y'all's shelves are higher than mine. That's okay, okay? I'm working on building more shelves, okay? But weak, shallow Christians are produced by shallow preaching. Now, I'm going to get off that topic before I say something really harsh and offensive when I know it's not for lack of intent of wanting to see people saved and grow in Christ. Okay, I understand that part. And it's not about style, you know, that, that, that part isn't even part of this, but... I don't want you to just have a great emotional experience. I want you to be Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? Because your what you really believe affects your thinking, right? That's your thinking. Gives you an attitude toward things, so things come at you. And, and with that attitude, it causes an emotion to spark up based on what you believe, right? Whatever you believe back here makes you view something a certain way, and an emotion will come up. And we're emotional beings, okay? We respond out of our emotions, do we not? So our emotions dictate our actions. So if I want to change how I act, i got to change what I believe. And really, the Holy Spirit's got to change what I believe. Because only the Holy Spirit can reveal things from, from the depths of God, and only, the Holy, only your inner being knows your, your thoughts. Only the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God and can reveal those to us, right? So... But listen to this. I love, I always, I've always, we always quote that part in here, that be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I change, my mind gets changed because I believe the word, and so that gives me a different perspective, worldview on things, so that changes how I act, right? But I love, I mean, it's even more evident when you read the rest of that, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Like you can't even get the will of God and understand what it is without the, the whole this getting into, into here. So my hope, my prayer is when, when we come in here on Sunday mornings is not that I scare you into some strong emotion, right? Everybody's awake now, right? It's not that I scare you into having some high emotional experience and then 
that go that because that fades on Monday. Okay, that shock I just gave you, it'll be gone before you get out of here today, right? But if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind and you believe something differently, the Holy Spirit reveals it to you and it grabs hold of you, your heart will follow and you'll act right according to what God says, okay? So that so that's a little I'll get off that soapbox, okay? We need we need to teach people so that they can really follow Jesus and walk with him closely, be transformed, be changed. And I'll stop with that. Mark 13, okay, verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death. Remember, this is all end-time stuff. So, and, and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Some of you are like, well, we're there, right? Because you're thinking about your kids. Um, <clears throat> you will be hated all be- by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, here's where it gets rough. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. There's an emphasis there. He's quoting something that came out of Daniel. Daniel talked about three different times, okay? Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, okay? Daniel used it three times, abomination of desolation. The idea here is something or someone being brought into the to the place of worship, the temple, the, the place of sacrifice on the altar, something or someone being brought in there that would cause the temple, that place of worship, to be abandoned and everybody run away from it because it has been desecrated, it's been profaned so badly that that this fear just comes on people of, I'm getting away from there because they, that should not be done there, okay? Everyone would leave. And, and here Jesus brings it up again from Daniel. In, in history, you can see some things that kind of give you an idea of what this is like. And, the, and, and I know there's two different schools of thought on this, that things have happened, and yet I believe they have not yet happened, Okay? But in history, around 167, 168 B.C., depends on how what calendar you use, a guy named um, Antiochus Epiphanes believed he was the incarnation of Zeus, okay? And his, his name literally means the illustrious one, okay? I am God made manifest. It's what, it's what he thought, okay? Think people you know think highly of themselves, right? He gave himself that name. That wasn't even his birth name. He just gave himself that name. Okay? The Jews gave him the name, not Epiphanes, but uh, Epimenes. Okay? Which means the madman. Okay? So it's very entertaining. He went into Jerusalem, this Epiphanes, and he, he went into Jerusalem. He attacks. He stops the sacrifices. And dedicated the altar to himself, to Zeus, right? And took a pig and sacrificed it. You understand what that is? Because that's not clean, that's not kosher. So it was intentional, right? And he forbid keeping the Sabbath, no circumcision, and so on. He killed 80,000 Jews, kept 40,000 as slaves, okay? And and the Jews referred to would used to refer to this as, a, uh, as, as an abomination of desolation. Yet Jesus spoke of this here as a future event, okay? So we know that happened, but here he is after speaking of a future event, okay? It's not the same thing as simply the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, okay? Or Roman occupation, however you want to look at that, right? If you want to dig, you want to get in that deeper, I'm going to point you to, he knows, look, he's shaking his head. I'm going to point you to Brad, okay? Um, but there was no act of profane worship that caused the desolation of the temple, the abandonment of the temple. In Second Thessalonians, the Antichrist who comes in the future, the son of perdition, will seat himself as God in the temple, co- proclaiming himself to be God. Okay, and what happened in the past 
is a model for what will ultimately happen in an ultimate sense in the future. Okay? It only happened in part in like 70 AD and in these other events. Okay? So that's my take on that. That's as deep as we're going to go. Okay? Verse 15. I hope it sparks your interest and you look into things deeper, right? Verse 15, the one who is on the housetop must not go down or go get anything out of his house. The one who is in the field must not turn back and get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. Because he's saying everybody's going to flee. They're going to go to the mountains. You're going to be homeless. You're going to have to survive because you're going to have to run out of town when that happens, okay? It's, and, and that's because the one who is there that creates this abomination of desolation is going to come after everybody to kill them and destroy them. Okay, so he's like, run. Okay, I'll talk about that more in a moment. But isn't it interesting in the Middle East it, that it's always in the news, right? There's always something going on in the Middle East. Okay, always a focus of major events. And I just, I just want to point out the, this part of it for the reality of the scriptures in our world. Okay, when you look at how things are, especially in the Middle East, it so validates everything that's in here. Okay? And, and so this event, this catastrophe that Jesus speaks of, is, it's very centralized. It's going to affect the whole world, but it's very centralized to Israel, especially Jerusalem. Okay? And even though the Antichrist will wreak havoc all over the world, He's, that's where he's coming to sit, is, in, is there in Jerusalem, and that's where this will happen, and this fleeing, okay? The, the, the major impact and focus remains in Jerusalem. And all, all the nations in Israel, do you notice they're always in constant upheaval? It's, there's, there's always some, I mean, look at Syria, okay? And it's all issues that stem from biblical reasons, Okay? You can't just disregard this and go, oh, it's just another religion. It's just another. It, uh, it affects our whole world even today, and it's all right in here, okay? According to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 17, Damascus in Syria will, it will be destroyed, totally, totally destroyed. <clears throat> Doesn't say when. Some put it in their eschatological timetable, the day of the Lord, the tribulation time, the last, the great tribulation, the last three and a half years and such. And, and so the, and those are probably maybe good guesses or whatever, but we don't know when. doesn't say when, okay? But, but it's never happened historically. It has not happened yet, okay? So, so that, there's things like that, that that drive me to have the eschatology I do, the end times thinking that I do, Okay? that certain things have just not happened yet, okay? Perhaps it's, Damascus is possibly the oldest inhabited city on earth. And it's always been there, right? It's, it's since all this, since cities were built, right? So it'll be destroyed in some kind of battle with Israel, Okay? says this will happen quickly, that the city of Damascus will be destroyed, like within a day, like it'll be a there today, you wake up tomorrow, and it's gone, okay? Makes me think of nuclear-type stuff or what, you know, there's all kinds of things that just go through your mind of it's possible today that weren't possible when this was written, but you go, hmm, right? In conjunction with this, Isaiah says, the glory of Jacob will wane meaning the nation of Israel will sustain heavy casualties itself even though they take down Damascus, okay? Not being told when that will happen, but you look in Jeremiah 30, it's interesting, okay? He said, how does he refer to the tribulation period? It is a, it is a time of, anybody know? Jacob's trouble. And then... Isaiah was saying, when the city's taken, Jacob's, the glory of Jacob will wane, right? So it's interesting to start putting things together, right? 
Now, what is happening here is that Jesus is saying when this abomination of desolation happens, get out of town because the one that does this will seek to kill them, destroy them. So run, but according to, to Scripture, only a third will escape, okay? And God protects them in the wilderness for three and a half years, okay? That's where you start getting these numbers of where we understand great tribulation, seven years, three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of trouble, okay? So that, that just gives you some foundation for this is why there's that thinking, okay? I hope, again, that I'm just whetting your appetite for you to dig in and learn more and read for yourself what all this means. I, I, I don't have time to, like, explain my whole, what I believe about Scripture and eschatology this morning, okay? So verse 19, for those days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, here he is, he is there, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance." That those days will be such that has not occurred that, that as it is today, okay? I've not heard of any time in the past that was not like it still is today. As far as wars and troubles on the earth and things that have gone on, it's just this is the way it's been for, you know, the trouble in the Middle East, all that's going on. It's saying, it, what's saying here is it will be drastically different. Drastically. There will without mistake different okay there will be three forces at work in a major way at that time okay you're going to have god's wrath towards the earth being being poured out you're going to have satan's hatred for people and you're going to have man's rebellion going on all that those three things are going to be all stirred up in a way like we've never seen before okay so it'll be it'll be mark markedly different than we've ever seen. And I've never seen a time that I would say, I would look at and go, well, that was like that. Okay? Verse 24, But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Cosmic disruptions after that tribulation. I haven't seen that either. Okay? Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. None of that has happened, so we're still looking for the return of Jesus, right? And at the point, and the point here again is regardless of your end times theology, the deal is and the, the punch that Jesus is given here is don't be asleep and be ready, Okay? Be on the alert, he says twice, right? We are to be prepared and ready to live our lives faithful to God because we don't know when that time is coming, and we should do that anyway, but more so in light of knowing what's going to happen. And should it matter to a faithful Christian in terms of how we live? But rather that, that this would just be there as an encouragement and a warning not to live, not to take living for Jesus, or it's not be careful of not taking it seriously. Okay? I, the prayer is that it just drives apathy out of you. Okay? That it gets you off the fence and you won't be lukewarm anymore. Okay? If that's where you are. Okay, verse 28, Now learn the parable from the fig tree, which branches already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. There again, I don't have time to go into all that, but even those things are like there's differences of opinion. Of That's talking about Israel, but yet in the Luke 21 account, he says, look at the fig tree and all the other trees. So how is it talking about Israel if it's that tree and all the other trees and different timing things that come up with that in spring and summer? There again, you dig. I don't have time to do all that, okay? Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth shall, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Okay, so if it bothers you, some people, it, it bothers them that Jesus doesn't know. But, but yet, isn't he God? Right? So you go, well, he, but we're saying the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in one. He's God. So how in the world does he not know? Okay? Like that makes me start to believe some of these other cults or whatever they are that say Jesus wasn't God, okay? Okay, he didn't know, but he is the, as the incarnate Christ on earth, he subjected himself to some flesh limitations. He's Jesus in the flesh, so he, he limits himself to certain limitations to accomplish being the perfect sacrifice for us, Okay? Jesus was in human flesh when he spoke these words. Three distinct persons, one God. It was part of the distinct persons during this time of being in flesh. I believe Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, ascended back to heaven, and he knows right now. He knows when that's going to be because he's, he's back with the Father. Those limitations aren't there of what he had to do in the flesh. He subjected himself to death on a cross. You know, you read read Philippians 2, right? He subjected himself to certain, to be a servant and to have certain limitations because he could have just had, the Bible talks about it, he could have had a legion of angels just take him off the cross, but he subjected himself to limitations. Even though he was God, he says, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to submit myself to these human limitations. He, He had to, he had to resist and endure the temptation of sin to be the sacrifice for us and, and, and yet be perfect, right? So he had to limit himself in ways that he could be that perfect sacrifice for us, okay? And it goes on, say, take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. There it says it, keep on the alert. It is like a man away, and I want to say this real quick, there's so many people that they're so focused on watching out for evil and the Antichrist and all these things. That's where they get too focused on some secondary issues that they, they, they're not looking for Christ. They're just looking for the Antichrist all the time. And it's like, okay, let's, let's just back off on Santa for a minute, okay? And let's just focus on looking for Jesus, okay? Not saying you shouldn't have your positions on those things, but there are people who will just... It's like all they're looking for is the wrong. Okay? And we should be looking, take, be on the alert, alert, looking for Christ's return is what we're supposed to be doing. I, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm going to be aware there's false prophets, there's false stuff going on, and I can, don't be deceived. That's why we need to be aware of those things. But my heart focus is on Christ. Okay? That's where you get into this, deal often of yes hell is true it's it's real it's a real place it's where god everything good comes from god you can be in a relationship with him so if you say no to god long enough you end up in hell and it's because you say no god i don't want you okay so you're saying i don't want anything good and no relationships so hell is a place where that is it's real and true okay however my heart my focus sitting on hell it's on jesus and he loves me and died for me and, and you hear me say often, we do a good job at scaring the hell out of people. We do a terrible job at showing them what it means to be in love with Jesus and have joy and hope and peace and, and live in a, in a victorious-type life in Christ. Not that everything goes good and you prosper, but that even in the midst of whatever that is, we can, we can live like he's saying to live right here in the midst of even the Great Tribulation, Right? If people can endure this as his people he's called them to, what's wrong with us today, right? It's like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning each one a task, also commanded the doorkeeper to to stay on alert. Therefore, be on the alert. You do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. When what I say to you, I say to all, 
be on the alert. So he's saying, I'm not just saying it to you guys, I'm saying this to everybody, be on the alert. I'm one of those that believes in the rapture of the church. Don't know when it'll happen, be on the alert. That's that's a time when Jesus comes toward earth. It's not the second coming, it's not his return. He comes towards earth, above it. We meet him in the air, and he goes. And then tribulation happens, and then... After the tribulation, he returns and touches down on earth. After that, that is the second coming, his return. He says what he says, he says to all, and that includes us. Be on the alert, don't be asleep, okay? And what that means is, when I I read that and I go, don't be asleep, be alert, okay? Those two things, because this is where it just kind of comes down to, right? One, don't be asleep, don't get caught asleep. Be sure of your salvation. Make sure of your salvation. Don't be don't get caught being spiritually dead. Okay? Don't make this church service the closest you ever get to heaven. Okay? Don't reject the offer of God to be with him forever. Don't get caught asleep. And then two, be on the alert. Make sure you're busy. And I'm not talking world busy. Make sure you're busy. Be about the Father's business, the Scripture would say. Don't get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, the world's cookie jar, right? Grabbing at all the things of this world because one day it's all gone and all that remains is what's eternal and what was done being about the Father's business, right? Does that make sense? We'll forget this evening, right? That's why I hope you study for yourself and read the scriptures. There's a marked difference in any study that's ever been done. The one marked difference in people who grow spiritually, stay connected, even get into ministry one day. The one thing is they read the Bible for themselves. So I pray that you that, that you just sparks you to do that. I, I, but I think those two things, no matter what your end times theology is, is something we can agree on. Don't be asleep, be alert. Make sure of your salvation, be about the Father's business. If you do those things, then you can be a pan-millennialist, and it doesn't matter, right? It's just all going to pan out in the end. I don't know how it's going to play out, but, right? As scary as this sounds about the end times, there is great joy and peace for those who belong to Jesus, okay? Honestly, I've never been worried I've never been too worried about end times theology. I just, I, I, not as much as other people, maybe. And it's not wrong to be. Some people just are driven towards. I get focused on theologies about and, and just things the Bible teaches about relationship. That's just my thing. Like I, like you'll meet different pastors, and it's like the glory of God is their thing, or end times is their thing, or you know, there, there's different. You know, sanctification is their thing. They, t- they talk about it all the time. I, I'm a relationship guy, right? And how that plays out with people. So, but I've just never worried about the end time stuff as much because I go, I know I'm his and it'll be okay. Like, I'm sure of my salvation and I'm looking for Jesus and I'm okay, okay? But it doesn't, it should not keep me from digging in and trying to learn more and grow and 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 look into that. I do I I do that. I've especially done that through this chapter, right? There's great joy and peace for those who belong to Jesus. I will always study and try to know as much as I can for the sake of following Jesus and my relationship going deeper with him. So I need to study so that I can do that. So I, I pray that you, you make sure of your salvation. You be about the Father's business. And you just you just get in there deeper in your relationship with him. Because that's what's going to help you endure. Is what you learn through the word. And he gets you involved in a group of people. Love God. Love others. There's that one another stuff we talk about a lot. That helps you persevere to the end. Scripture says it's through the through the 
body of Christ that will encourage one another and, and that'll help us persevere to the end, proving that we were his. Okay, so, so this what we do together here is important. Okay, so let's pray this morning. And I just want to ask you before anything else, if you're asleep and you want to be awake, if you, if you feel God calling you out today, to follow Jesus. You can do that right now. You just you just turn to Jesus, okay? It's as easy as receiving this gift of salvation from him is just I turn from I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he died on the cross in my place for my sin to forgive me of that sin, so I'm turning, I'm repenting of my sin. I'm turning from myself and my sin and I'm turning to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to change me. So I'm just, I'm surrendering my life. I'm just giving it all to him. He died for me so I could live for him. And so right now I just turn, you just, you have that conversation with God yourself. You just talk to him and, and just tell him, God, I'm best I know how I'm giving myself to you. Grow me. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to be awake. I want to be alert. I want to know more. I want to walk in this relationship with you. And I want to follow you to the very end of whatever that is for me so that I can be there with you forever. Thank him for saving you and just pour out your gratitude to him. If that's you and you're coming to salvation for the first time, please let us know so we can help you in that. But Father, I thank you for your word today and I pray that it changes us. I pray, Father, that today causes a stirring in those who are here, people online that they will not be asleep, that they would be alert and ready for you. Help us to make our relationship with you a priority, to turn from our sin and to love you more and more. May we see the urgency of obeying your command to go and make disciples of all nations, to share our faith, to love one another, Father, to put you first in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.